Well, as we continue our worship of God this morning, let me invite you to open your copies of God's Word to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we've been going through Psalm 119 now for a couple of months as our Psalm of the Month. And as it is the first Lord's Day in February, it's that time for us to return to Psalm 119 and the third section now of this psalm. And so our sermon text this morning will be verses 17 through 24. Psalm 119, 17 through 24. This may read a little differently from some of you because I'll be using the New King James. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Thus far, the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord is forever. Well, as we come to this third section of Psalm 119, the psalmist is to continue extolling the virtues and the wonders of God's word, and more importantly, as we've learned, the wonder of the God behind his word. We've learned thus far through the first two sections that that what is here is not just an extolling of God's law, but rather understanding that God's law and his word, his self-revelation, is the means by which we come to know who he is, how it is we grow in our depth of relationship with him, having been restored through Jesus Christ to that right relationship, how it is we are to live in such a way that reflects his nature and his character, how the word of God guides us and directs us as we would live as children of the Most High God. And in that sense, Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24, are no different than the other two portions that we've read already. Yet just as each one of them unfolded that concept of God and His Word and the God of His Word, in a different way, so also verses 17 through 24 look at a different facet, a different element of what it means to value God's word and to find him in it. In particular, this is a a portion of the psalm that deals with the reality that is expressed consistently throughout Scripture about God's people. That is, that we are foreigners, we are strangers, we are sojourners in a foreign land. And as such, there is guidance and help that we need in order to live the lives that we've been called to live. And that's the heart of this section of Psalm 119. You'll notice the sermon title in your bulletins, God's Guidance for Foreigners. And perhaps you thought this would be a sermon on immigration. Well, no, it is not a sermon on immigration. It's a sermon to you as those who are foreigners in a strange land seeking to serve your God in this context, in this side of glory. And so, as we look at God's guidance for foreigner, foreigners, 
we'll look at several different things this morning. First, we'll look at God's bounty for foreigners. Second, we'll look at strangers in the earth. Third, we'll look at comfort for foreigners. And finally, we'll look at Jesus Christ, the paradigm of the foreigner. God's bounty for foreigners, strangers in the earth, comfort for foreigners, Jesus Christ, paradigm for foreigners. I went ahead and broke pattern with with point B from the foreigner theme because I like to. So let's turn to that first element this morning, God's bounty for foreigners. And as we have seen, and as often is the case with all Psalms, and has been the case with each section of Psalm 119, a petition begins this section. As the psalmist asks of the Lord, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. And that's pretty straightforward. The psalmist is asking that the Lord would deal bountifully with him. But I want you to not get into the idea that what the psalmist is asking for is that the Lord would grant him riches. He's not asking that God would be bountiful in giving him overflowing food upon his table, a lavish and luxurious home in which he can stay, a full bank account that would be able to cover any need he could ever conceive of for the foreseeable future and beyond. That's not the type of bountiful or bounty that the psalmist is asking for. He's asking for something much grander than that. The word here that's translated as bountiful has behind it the idea of God's sovereign providence. As believers in God, we believe that God has created the world in which we live. But beyond that, that he upholds and he sustains it and that he provides for those on the earth, for both the animals and the animal kingdom, but also for humanity that lives upon the earth. All that we have, health and life, and all of these things come from the hand of God, and that he orders his providence to continue to uphold the earth in its course, in its sequence. That's what the psalmist is asking for, that God's almighty, powerful providence, the way in which he upholds the course of the earth itself, that God would use that in his favor, that God would work out his providence for the psalmist's good. Deal providentially with me. Deal bountifully with me according to your good providence in this earth. That's what the psalmist is asking for. And so it's asking for something much greater than normally we think of when we think of bountiful provision. Because we'll be honest with ourselves, we're a little more small-minded than God is. But why is it that the psalmist desires that God would deal bountifully for, with him. He's essentially asking that God would give him what he needs in order that he might do something. And the latter part of verse 17 tells us exactly why he wants God to, to give him what he needs, to provide for him out of his sovereign power over the earth, that I may live and in living keep your word. And we have to think about ourselves that oftentimes when we are calling out to God to deal bountifully for us, usually it's in order that we might have the things I spoke of at the beginning of the message this morning. 
We ask God that he would use his sovereign power in order to care for our debts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with asking for these things as part of the overall complex of dependence upon God. But we, we ask for him to care for our debts. We ask of him to, to provide for our food. We ask him for the niceties of life. We think of all of the material things that we ask God for. But how often lying behind that is that God would give us these things and provide for us in these ways in order that we might live for him. Because normally when we're asking for it, it's because we want to enjoy the various pleasures that used rightly are open and available to us. In other words, normally our perspective, our view is inward. God benefit me. But it's to be more than that. The psalmist is asking God to to benefit him. He really is. But benefit me in order that I might live. And in living, that I might keep your word. That I might be your servant. That's what he says in verse 17. Deal bountifully with, with whom? Deal bountifully with your servant, the one who is here to to serve you as you've called me to do, as you've prepared and, and fit and suited me to do. Provide me with what I need in order that I might fulfill what my life's purpose is, the reason that I'm here, and that is to serve you according to your word, according to what you have laid out about yourself, about your nature, about your character, the mighty things that you have done, how it is. I am to live in light of who you are as my creator, my sovereign, my provider. And that's often the thing that we are missing. That's often the thing that keeps us from seeing and knowing who we are as foreigners, as strangers. Because this world is about maximizing your enjoyment. This world is about living in such a way that the pleasure you know might be optimized. That you might have as much pleasure as you can have. That you can have all of the good things in life in order that you can enjoy life. And that's where it stops. But the Christian life is about having in order that we might live and serve God's bountiful providence is given to us not merely for our enjoyment, but in order that we might fulfill the purpose for which he has breathed the breath of life into each and every one of us. And as he calls out to God for this bountiful providence, this provision for his need, think of it in terms of, of give me this day my daily bread. Jesus himself is essentially uttering the heart of this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Give me this day my daily bread. Why do we want God to give us our daily bread? So that we are free then from anxiety and worry and able to pursue and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Deal with me in this way that I might live as your servant and keep your word. And then he asks for something more. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law, from your word. This is what the psalmist is saying here. Because in order to live according to and to keep the word of God, we need God to open our eyes to see him in it. 
When he says this idea, open, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law, from your word, it's a common biblical expression. We're more familiar perhaps with, it, with, the, with the mighty acts or the marvelous things of God. What, what the psalmist is asking for is that God might open his mind to look into the word of God, to open his heart, and to perceive who God is as he sees God working in his word. When you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and you have laid out for you God's creative power and God's creative work, you're supposed to see the wondrous work of God there and and seeing the wondrous work of God, seeing the wonder of your God. Knowing who He is through what He has done, His nature, His character, demonstrated in His power and in His goodness and His love, His justice, His mercy displayed throughout the course of human history, redemptive history in the pages of His Word. The psalmist is asking for nothing less that God would show him Himself. Show me you in your Word. That knowing you, I might live according to who you are. And saints, that's something that often we forget. We don't come to the Word to just do what God tells us to do. Are we to do what God tells us to do? Yes. Rather, we come to the Word to find out who God is, that we might live as God is. This is the idea of bearing the image of God. This is the idea of imitating our God and of imitating Jesus Christ, His express image. That we come to the Word of God to know how we shall live in order that we might look like our Father. That our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our deeds might be in accordance with the nature and the character of the One who made us and who redeemed us. And so that's how the psalmist opens, with that petition for God's bounty for foreigners, that God's sovereign providence would be exercised in such a way to enable him to live according to God's self-revelation, which is what his word is, and to serve his God according to the nature and character of his God. But there's a reason that the psalmist is making this petition. It's a good general petition. But it's not just a general petition that's driving this section of Psalm 119. There's an underlying consideration. That second element that I spoke of at the beginning of the message. And that is the idea that we are strangers in earth. We need God's sovereign bounty. We need His providence. We need His care for us. We need His sovereign power to be exercised in such a way that we might live in order that we might serve Him according to his word. Why is the psalmist asking that beyond just the general reality of being creatures and he being our creator? It's because of the status that the psalmist understands himself to be in, the, the status of foreigner, the status of stranger. Why does this make it necessary that God's bounty would be poured out upon him? That God would open his eyes and reveal himself in his word. 
The first thing that we need to, to understand is the nature of the foreigner. Something perhaps we don't often think of because many of us here, if not all of us here, aren't foreigners to the nation that we're in. We are all citizens here. And as citizens, we have all of the rights of citizens. Those rights, particularly in this nation, in a sense, protect us from what our rulers might do to us and hold accountable our neighbors for when they would violate our rights. And we live in a nation that puts a premium on your rights, don't we? We have a bill of rights. But a foreigner has no rights of citizenship. And it was especially true back in this period of time in human history. And while there may be within our codification of our law some protections afforded to the foreigner, nonetheless, they don't have the rights of citizens. And that's the idea here, that, that there is no right that this psalmist possess, that he's a foreigner, that he's a stranger. And as a stranger, he is utterly dependent upon the rulers in the land in which he lives to care for him, to watch over him, to keep him free from harm, to afford him the opportunity to be able to, to live unmolested and unharmed in the world in which he lives. And he's also dependent upon the, the goodwill of his neighbors to do the same thing. That as he dwells there, having no rights of his own, those around him would exercise their own rights in his protection, in his care, for his good, for his benefit. That's the idea of the foreigner. And this concept applies two ways when we look at Scripture. Scripture speaks of all humanity as foreigners before God in this way. What does that mean? That every human being depends upon God's benevolence, on his goodness, on his common grace, to use that term. That, that we have no rights but those which have been afforded to us by our Creator and we are dependent upon Him as the psalmist expressed there at the beginning of this portion. Dependent upon His bounty in order to know safety and peace and joy and blessing. The Scripture speaks of foreigner in that way. It also speaks of foreigner in terms of the relation of those who aren't citizens to those who are in terms of human relationships. Being in a land in which you own no property, in which you have no home, in which you are dependent upon the, wealth, the goodwill of those around you. But it's that idea of having no rights and utter and absolute dependence that we need to bring to the fore and, and wrap our minds around when he says, I am a stranger in the earth. I am utterly dependent. This is why I need you. Without you, I will not have peace. Without you, I will not have provision. Without you, I will not have safety. Without you, I will not have guidance. How are we to live as foreigners in this world? We are to live as those who are utterly dependent upon God 
and in desperate need of his word, which reveals him to us. And that's the latter part there of verse 19. Do not hide your commandments from me. I am utterly dependent, and without you, I am floating about, insecure. Don't hide your commandments from me. Don't hide the stuff of life from me. Show me the path to go. Show me how I am to live here. Show me how I am to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that reflects your character, in a way in which I can taste and see indeed that you are good and so grow in the depth of my relationship to you. And the idea here isn't that the psalmist thinks that God is is hiding his word from him, but rather he's asking that God would open the book fully, as it were, that there would be nothing he wouldn't understand, that there would be nothing that he could not see, but that God would give him full and abundant understanding of himself, of his will here in this word. I am dependent upon you. Show me everything. Show me who you are. Show me how I am to live as I walk in this world as a foreigner. The question is, we come to God's word and we look to see who God is and what he has done and how then we are to live is that we are using this word to teach us how do we live here? How do we love here how do we serve here that the heart cry of every christian should be with the psalmist show me yourself in your word and show me how i live according to who you are open to me father the fullness of your word thirdly this morning I spoke to you of the comfort for foreigners. So we have the psalmist offering up that petition, God's bounty for foreigners. We, we have the realization of the condition, the utterly dependent stranger sojourning in a foreign land with no rights. But there's also a comfort that he is asking for here that continues to narrow in on the context Thus far, we've examined that idea of the foreigner and his utter dependence and the way in which we are utterly dependent upon God. But that utter dependence upon God also is related to the way in which we are strangers and foreigners in this earth, in this fallen world. You'll notice in verse 21, you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. He is living out the reality that as one who is not a citizen of a fallen world, but rather of the kingdom of God, he's experiencing the reproach and the shame that is heaped upon him because of his dedication to his God, because of his desire and his dependence upon his God and his seeking to live according to who God is as he's revealed himself in his word. And so now he calls out to his God to remove the 
shame and reproach that comes from being a foreigner in a fallen world. That as he keeps the law of God, as he keeps the love of God, if we remember what Jesus said about the heart of the law just last week, to love God and to love your neighbor. That God would keep him and sustain him as reproach and shame would fall upon him. Because living according to God's word in this foreign, fallen world that is in rebellion to God will bring mockery. And it will bring shame. And it will bring reproach from the citizens of this fallen world, from its rulers and from its residents. And we need to understand something about reproach from an unconcerned or hostile world. Living according to God's word is not merely about ethics and morals. That's where we want to leave it. In the ethical care, in the ethical category, in the moral category. In other words, all of those external do's and don'ts. That's where we want to put living according to God's word. That's where we want to leave it. But if we've been paying attention to Jesus' words at all, it's so much more profound and it's so much deeper than just this idea of an external ethical, moral quality and character to life. But it is transformative, the root of it is much grander than mere externality. Legalism reduces everything to outward acts. We want a nation that has the pretty facade of good morality, the Judeo-Christian ethic, without the transformed heart necessary for that external morality to really ever even be a thing. No, the root of God's word, the root of God's commands, the root of service to God is much deeper than that. It's it's transformative of our values, of our priorities, of our affections, of the way we view the reason why God has placed us on this earth to do his will, to love him, to love neighbor as ourselves, to show the world through our love for each other that we are Christ's disciples and we understand what God's love is versus the world's love. This is about being steadfast in loving God and in loving neighbor and in loving brother and sister in Christ as revealed in his word, despite whatever opposition that might bring. And the reality is, is that this world will hate us if we are steadfast and if we are open about where our priorities lie, about who we serve, about who we are loyal to. And I know for many of us, we have that question of like, well, how or why? I don't understand this concept, and it certainly doesn't seem like like I ever come under any reproach or shame. So why does God's Word produce this? Well, let me let you make yourself your own illustration as to why. As you walk through God's Word, you find places in which you fall short, don't you? 
You find ways in which you have transgressed the command of God. You find ways in which you have shown that you are not loving God with all of your heart, strength, soul, and might. You've found ways in which you have not loved neighbor. What has your response been to God's word revealing your sin to you? Sometimes in God's grace through the working of His Spirit, it's a, it's a true sorrow and grieving and mourning over sin and, and a repenting and asking God that, that He would cause us victory, to have victory, to grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. But let's be honest with ourselves with that, with that sin and dwelling and still remaining. Oftentimes when God lays our sin bare in His Word, we get mad, we get angry. We find justifications for why it is that that God's not really saying that what I'm doing here is wrong. God's not really saying that I should be doing this or that or that I shouldn't be doing that. God's not really saying that. Or sometimes it's just indifferent. Yes, that's what God's Word said, but I don't care. And sometimes it's anger. No, God, I will not follow Your Word. I know good and evil better than you know good and evil. And when someone comes to us and and puts before us, and perhaps this is when we can understand it the most, when someone comes to us and puts before us the ways in which we are falling short, hopefully they come in, in humility with our good in mind, and they put our sin before us, what's usually our first reaction? It's to leash out in anger. How dare you tell me that I'm sinning? How dare you correct my behavior? How dare you criticize me according to God's Word? In other words, anger. Now we know exactly what the psalmist means when he says that reproach and shame is heaped upon him because of his faithfulness to God word of God's word, because of the reproach and shame we heap upon God Himself and upon the messengers of His Word when it lays us bare. Don't we? That's the idea. That's being spoken of here by the psalmist. That as a foreigner in a world fallen that does not share his love for God, that does not share his love for neighbor, that does not seek its values, its understanding of good and evil from God's word and from his nature and character and what he has done, that he is going to suffer reproach and shame and he must have his God in order that he might endure and bear up under it. Remove from me reproach and contentment, or, com- or not contentment, contempt. Remove from me reproach and contempt. He understands his utter dependence upon God to bear up under that shame, that reproach, that hatred. To bear up under the weight of hatred. None of us wants to be hated. None of us wants to be ridiculed and mocked. None of us wants to be criticized. And we certainly want to be, don't want to be hated and mocked and criticized because we are, we are striving in the spirit and the strength of God to live according to His Word, to do what is good, to do what is right. None of us wants to experience that. It's painful. God isn't saying it's not going to hurt. He never says that. He says that you will suffer. 
And so we need him to enable us to bear up under that suffering. That we might not fall away when we suffer. That we might not succumb to despair and darkness when we are betrayed by those closest to us. When shame and mockery is heaped upon us in the world in which we live because we wear our love for our God on our sleeve. So he's asking that he might have the strength to to bear up under that reproach and shame and not falter and fall and sink into the depths of despair. And secondly, he's asking that he might be able to, to continue steadfast to sides of the same coin. That he might continue bearing up under that shame and reproach, finding his vindication in God and not in fallen men. That he might bear under the strain of it and be steadfast in this searching for God and searching to live according to his word. As God has revealed who he is in it. Even when the rulers of this world levy their opposition against him. Princes also sit and speak against me. The whole weight of the world and the land in which he lives comes up and and rises up against him. And and we don't quite understand the idea of princes and the the idea that he would be, be just dismayed at the idea that princes have risen up against him because this kind of power is something we don't live under, though many people in the world in which we live do. But the, the power of a prince to bring to bear against you and the reproach and the shame and the difficulty that those in authority can bring. That his love for God and his living as this foreigner in a fallen world will will cause him to be opposed even by the most powerful in the world in which he lives. Even if princes would rise up against him. Yet he will meditate upon the statues of God. He will find his delight in the testimonies of his God. He will find all of his counsel, all of his advice, all of his direction for life from God himself, regardless who stands in opposition to him. Our contentment, our joy, our peace, our hope is found in God's vindication in his removal of our shame and reproach. Our delight and our counsel, our advice for living are to come from his word, in his strength, even though the whole world would stand against us. That's what the psalmist is asking for here. And that is who Jesus Christ was and is. Because it's not hard to walk through this little portion of Psalm 119 and see Jesus in every line of it. Because when Jesus is presented to us, and hopefully you've been paying attention in Matthew and have actually taken something with you from it, when Jesus is presented, how is he presented to us? From the very beginning, absolutely dependent upon his Father. The Spirit of God resting upon him. There's never been a stranger, stranger than Jesus Christ. 
And here he is in the fallen world that he has come to redeem the way in which he will love God and love neighbor and giving himself as the, as the sacrifice for all who would have faith in his name that they might know right relationship with God and not be condemned as rebels. He comes and he, he depends upon his God, upon his Father to provide him with everything that he would need in order he, that he might be, be, excuse me, that he might be about the kingdom work that he has come to accomplish. Christ saying to his father, deal bountifully with your servant, which is a messianic title in the Old Testament, by the way. The servant of the Lord. Find that in Isaiah. Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. And that's exactly what Christ does. He's versed in God's word, isn't he? He knows God in his word and he's directed by his knowledge of God's word. As he goes out into that, des- that desert and he's tempted of the devil, what's his resort? What is it that he uses as his mechanism of defense? He uses the word of God and not just because he's like, oh, hey, look at this scripture. And because it says this, I'm not going to listen to you, Satan. Because he understands the truth of it. Because the fullness of its truth has been revealed to him. He knows what it means and he believes what it means. That he would rather serve his father and he would rather forsake all of the kingdoms of the earth in order to serve his father because of his love for his father. Informed by scripture itself. And so versed in God's word, he brings it bear against, bear against the devil and he'll bring it to bear against the devil's children chapter after chapter after chapter as you walk through the gospel of Matthew, won't he? Have you not heard? Is it not written? He said to the Pharisees over and over again. He's unapologetic in his devotion to his father. Despite all of the opposition that he faces as he reveals who God is, he never wavers. He's never deterred. He never forsakes his father. He's the object of reproach. But nonetheless, as the object of reproach and shame, he's unmoved. He he bears up under his suffering. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet undeterred in his task. People walking by, wagging their heads at him. If God loves him so much, why does he not come down from the cross? Why does God not save him? Yet he remained unmoved in his pursuit of his servant work. Opposed even by rulers. The rulers of his own people and the rulers rulers of the empire in which he lived. Yet God's word was his delight, his counselor, his encouragement, his strength, his joy. In just a few moments, we'll come to the table. And we'll come to the table and And have our spirits fed and nourished by Jesus Christ presented to us here in the sacrament. And the reason we'll be able to to do that 
is because he is everything the psalmist here is. In verses 17 through 24. Because he bore our reproach and our shame. Because rulers and princes were arrayed against him. But he gave his life nonetheless to accomplish the will of his father. Because he was absolutely and utterly dependent upon his God in his humanity. In order to accomplish the task and purpose God had given him to do. He lived that he might keep God's word. And in his living and keeping God's word has given to all of those who have faith in his name right relationship with God and the opportunity in him to make the truths of verses 17 through 24 just as true for us as they were for him. How then do we apply? Well, really the application is just a restatement of everything that we've already seen. The first one and the most important one, saints, and the one that we struggle with the most because we hate the idea of dependence. We live in a nation that tells us the idea of dependence is the worst idea you could ever think of. And that your value is in your independence and your ability to do things for yourself and on your own. The words of Jesus Christ that we've seen over and over again become as these little ones. This psalmist is one of those little ones, saints, who recognizes his utter, absolute dependence upon God to provide him with everything he needs for life in general and for the life of faith in particular. Do you understand that, saint? That's why you need faith. That's why you need Christ. Because we are utterly dependent upon him. And there is no shame in dependence. You were created to be dependent. It's inherent to being a creature, saint. You're dependent upon the creator. And we're dependent upon the redeemer. And there is no shame in that. But rather fullness of life and abundance of joy. Recognize your utter dependence because it is only then that we will begin to take the words of the psalmist on our lips and from our hearts utter them back to our God. God, give me everything that I might live as your servant and keep your word. So all of those times we come to the word of God and it lays us bare and we see our sin, we see our shortcomings, our reaction doesn't have to be hatred of God or hatred of the one he uses to bring that before us, or hatred of ourselves, our reaction can be, God, cleanse me. God, cure me. God, free me. God, deliver me. God, save me. So that I might live and keep your word. Secondly, All of the psalms are prayers and contain so many petitions, saints. Would that we would pray as the psalmist prays. Those who are dependent should understand the value of prayer. 
Why does he lift up his voice in prayer? Because of his dependence. Why are we lift up our voices in prayer? Because of our dependence. What our lack of prayer reveals, saints, is our lack of dependence upon God. We don't pray because we don't think we need God. As much as we may profess it with our mouths, our hearts reveal the truth. We don't pray because we don't think we need God except for the big stuff that we can't fool ourselves into thinking we can handle. Saints, we can't even handle the smallest element and facet of our lives, let alone the big things. If you are dependent upon God, then you will pray. And you will be in his word, which is the whole point of Psalm 119, something I won't belabor. But also steadfastness, saints. As you are coming to the word of God, prayerfully asking that he would give you everything that you need and according to his will, according to who he is, that you might live in, keep his word as his servant, that you might be steadfast and open Wearing your love for God, informed by his word, on your sleeve. Loving God, loving neighbor, despite the opposition that you might face as a result. And be steadfast, finding your delight as a foreigner, as a stranger here in this earth. In God himself and in his word. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given us your word in order that we might learn who you are and how we are to live. Father, we ask along with the psalmist that you would grant to us open eyes to understand the fullness of your self-revelation, that nothing would be hidden from us, that everything would be open to us. Father, we ask that you would grant to us steadfastness. That you would grant to us first and foremost a love for you and a love for our neighbor. And that we might be steadfast in that love as it's revealed in your word despite whatever shame, whatever reproach, whatever opposition might rise up against us. And Father, we ask that ultimately you would cause yourself and your word to be our heart's delight. That we can withstand not because we're Stoics, but because you are our all and everything. Our delight, our riches, our joy, our peace, our safety, our contentment, our counselor and guide. May these be true of us in your Son, by your spirit and dwelling, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.